This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Darren. Welcome, Darren. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing absolutely. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. Glad to have you. So um, why don't you sort of take us back to, you know, the beginnings of your drinking journey, where it all started for you? Yeah, sure. Um, I think with me, as with many others, it was kind of normalized in my youth. Um, you know, I, I saw my, my dad went to the pub religiously, and I mean religiously, every Saturday. Um, I wouldn't, he, he didn't drink every day, um, but you knew as soon as it was that time for him to walk out the door, that was it, and off he would go. Um, and I think it, it just, it became normalized. My mom hated drinking and they would argue when he came in and, you know, and it, it uh, you would kind of think that that would put you off. Um, but having two older brothers as well, it, uh, it just became normalized. So I was, I was drinking, you know, by the time I was 13, um, 14, 15, I was going into the pubs, um, not saying I had a beard or anything like that, but I was, uh, I could get served anyway. So, um, yeah, and it started early, I guess. Um, and then as I got older into my teens, I was always the one that was, you know, I, I wanted to, to drink to get drunk. I wanted to get hammered and, uh, and I thought that that's what was having a good time. Um, from there, it, it kind of just continued. Um, then I got into uh, a role, into a sales and business development role where I was traveling a lot. And, uh, and I can remember going out with the, the guy who was kind of a mentor at, at one point. And he says, come on, we're going to go visit a customer and yada, yada. And, and off we went, went to visit the customer. And this was in the morning. He said, oh, we'll go out for lunch. And he bought me a pint. Um, so, and I'm thinking, well, it's lunchtime, you know, what, what's all this about? I was about 20 at the time. I thought, this is all right. Someone else is paying as well. And I'm drinking at work. Happy days. Um, and there was something in me just thought, well, this is the way to go, you know. And so started my career in, in sales, as it were. So traveling here and everywhere, it quickly became you know, the thing that I would be going to see customers, but straight away up here, I'm thinking, what's the nightlife like? What can I be doing? You know, what's, where can I get a drink and, and things like that? Um, and that went on for a number of years. Um, and I think in 2006 was a particularly 
emotional roller coaster of a year. And I put that, um, you know, quite firmly, I guess, in my story because it was a period where I didn't deal with emotions and it led to me drinking further. And that was the death of my mum. I got married, um, we had kids and I had university exams. It was all happening in that year. But I just carried on. Um, and as my career developed, I moved up and went to you know different companies, traveling and and um, and whatnot. And it would always be, you know, get to the hotel, forget checking in. You know, I'm I was at the bar, and then I would check in, and then I would go up to the room or perhaps back to the bar, and it continued and gradually, you know, I, I've always had I'd always had a drink problem way before I admitted it. And I think a lot of people will be the same. Um, but it eventually got where it, it just took over my life, you know, and I was traveling, getting up on a Monday morning at four o'clock, stupid o'clock, whatever you want to call it. And I would be getting on an airplane in the lounge, you know, it's it's free, free to drink. Yeah. Traveling across Europe, I would end up in Germany and, um, you know, have a, have a week's work, but of course I was away from home. So I was, I was just on it all the time. Um, you know, I've, I've given presentations for, you know, quite a lot of money and um, to secure business contracts and forgotten I'd done them and things like that the next day. Um, thankfully that particular one, I don't know how we won it, but <laughs> so it, it's uh and it just got worse, you know, and, and I was traveling all the time. And, and it, I think that in itself is quite um, a common, a common thing, maybe not to the extent that I was, I was drinking, but um, certainly people who do that, it's, you know, I look back and think, well, that's a single man's game and it's, or a single woman's game. And, and I'm so privileged and pleased to be able to, look back and say I got through that and I've still got my family intact yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's I am but honestly I'm so grateful for that um but it it came to a head really in in 2014 um where well it was a a crazy year anyway I mean I once woke up in Vienna and I'm thinking where am I I didn't know where I was, and I'd, I'd I'd flown from the UK to Germany, had the afternoon in Germany, and then got on the plane to go and have a meeting the next day. But I totally just thinking, where am I? I mean, how do you forget? I mean, it's such a beautiful city, and I didn't see any of it, and I just well, I, I maybe did. I, I just couldn't remember, and I thought that's crazy. That that is really not right. Um, wow, and it, it got to a. It got to a situation where I was either going to burn out, you know, go absolutely stir crazy or get divorced or, and it, it was, yeah, it, it led me to breakdown, to be honest. And uh, to save everything, I, I just had to stop that lifestyle and that job. Um, so that was 2014. And then I came back, took some time off, off work and everything and um, carried on drinking which was bizarre. So I cut out the, the traveling lifestyle, but the drinking persisted. And uh, it was then that it really, you know, it really took a hold. 
and it started to to control my life more um although it was already doing that but now it was it was more apparent and because i was at home all the time it was visible to you know to my loved ones and my wife was seeing you know what's going on here and then of course the secret drinking starts doesn't it because you don't want people to know and um so you know it that period up until me um quitting for good which was um at the start of 2019 was up down up down stop start a month off two months off fall back on the wagon off the wagon you know it and it it, it really did you know looking back now the lessons i learned from that is is profound but yeah that that four year period some of the scrapes that i got into cuz obviously i got another job um but similar things you know getting on trains and missing stops and how i kept it you know kept the job i've i've no idea but i've somehow did so i guess i was maybe you know functioning at the same time but um but yeah and, and after too many too many events that i look back and think you know how how, how are you still alive it's yeah, it, it made me really take stock and and quit. Um, the last occasion, actually, sorry, I hope I'm not going on too much, but no, the last it. occasion yeah. um, was um, at a works event. I was on a course. It was a, a management course that I was on. And we had to go down from Manchester to London, which is about a two-hour train journey. Um and I'd, I'd stopped for, I'd been off it for three months, but the trigger for me was being away because I thought, right, well, I'm away from home. Nobody knows I can, you know, get bottles of wine in the room and, and whatever. Um, and I got on the train and I conveniently booked myself a first class ticket because I knew that I could get drinks for free and, you know, try and hide the fact in, to be honest with you. Um, but I'd had far too much when I got there and got, um, um, well, I wasn't allowed into the event and there were CEOs and, you know, all these people in really big trousers that if they noticed you, you, you you're going to get, you're going to get fired. Um, but luckily, well, depends how you look at it. Uh, my boss saw and he got summoned across and, um, and that was it. I was poured into a taxi. And uh, and sent on my merry way back up to Manchester, um, which was the last and final time I had a drink. So, uh, yeah, and I've never looked back, to be honest. What, what was it? Just the embarrassment of, of your boss or like what what was the. No, the I think it, it was more it was more letting my family down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it definitely was anyway. Um because the, the, the next day I, um, well, th- there'd been various incidents before that where, um, you know, I, I got myself in a state and my, my wife was very much like my mum. She doesn't like drinking too much. She, she has the occasional glass of wine, but it's like one and she can stop. She's one of those uh, very, I don't know what the word is, lucky, intelligent. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but she basically doesn't. Uh, she don't go over the top, um, which is very much like my parents were. To be to be fair, 
Um, but it, it was definitely them because I'd, I'd sent lots of texts off um, my phone and it was clear, you know, that I was, I was absolutely paralytic. Um, and that feeling that she had, you know, was quite clear and I could hear it in her voice and see it. And, it, and the fact that I knew that I'd done so well you know, since since the, um, the the New Year's Eve of 2018, I hadn't touched anything, and I, I didn't want to. And that final thing in in my brain, I can remember thinking, well, you, you know, you've done three months. Let's test it out. I mean, what what kind of I don't know what the hell possessed me to think, well, it's it's your final test. You know, I'd had hundreds of tests before and realised, um, but yeah, I did. And it didn't end well. And in that, just that moment, even on the way back up, I can remember thinking, what are you done? Why? And the next day, it was, it was, I don't know, it was just like a switch. And it was almost like, that's it, you'll, you'll never drink again, son. Absolutely never. And it wasn't just that, it was I didn't want to. And I think that's a clear, you know, there's a, there's a, there's something in that with, you know, wanting to, needing to, or having to. I think you can, you maybe have to, you maybe need to, but unless you want to, then it's probably not going to happen. And that was a key, yeah, it was key that, but it, it was a multitude of events for me and it all kind of stacked up until it got to a point and it was like, boom, that's it. You're done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's so profoundly true. Like you may need to, everybody may be screaming at you, your body may be screaming at you, your family may be screaming at you, but unless you want to, unless it's something inside yeah. you that is driving the change or making the decision, it's not, yeah. it's not going to matter. So the question is, yeah. how do you get, how do you get that something inside you to, to want it? You know, when yeah. all you want to do is just carry on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, uh, you know, it was dealing with things that I'd locked away and I didn't realize that this was affecting me. Um, cause I, I went through, well, I, I saw quite a few counselors through anxiety and, and, you know, when I had the, the breakdown with, with leaving the job and everything like that, I saw counselors and it was quite clear, you know, as soon as I started doing that, that I'd not dealt with issues of my mum. And that whole year that was 2006 was just kind of all this, you know, things bang together, just stick that away to one side, carry on. And it, it, it doesn't help. Um, I mean, I, I went to a friend of mine actually took me to a local, I forget it was called step forward or something like that. But I think it was, um, like a council or a government thing. Um, and I went in and I just thought, no way, this, this isn't for me. I've been to a counselor where I've come out and immediately downed a bottle of wine because I thought that didn't do any good. What's the point, you know, and it, I want till I found the rapport with somebody and went through the NLP and everything to change my thought process that it really, um, it really kicked in. Um, I also did what is that four months with AA, um, did online meetings, um, but that 
I mean, that ended purely because, I mean, I'll never forget some of the main things with AA. I took some really, really good lessons from there, particularly about taking personal inventory and things like that. But again, it wasn't for me. Um, I had quite an experience in <laughs> in Denmark um, with my sponsor. Um, and yeah, I kind of took everything, all these lessons what learned. Are you oh, happy well, I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well, it was, AA has a, um, a stigma, rightly or wrongly, whether it, and it's all about religion and you have to believe in God, which isn't necessarily true. Um, like I say, you know, I've, I've took a lot, I've got utmost respect for, for AA, but I did online. I don't know. Some, there's these online meetings that you can do. Um, very much from what I can gather the same as a, as a meeting where you go into it and you know you sit around and, and whatever you, everybody's introduced and it, it, yeah it's the same the difference being that your sponsor really can be from anywhere um so i i hooked up with this guy um i, I won't say him by name but in, the, in my book i refer to him as m um and he was a real nice guy you know and he still is a nice guy um but it was a case of going through the steps and everything was on Skype and it was all good. And I was quite happy. And, you know, I knew he was really religious. It was God's way or no way, which kind of rang alarm bells with me because I thought, well, that's great. If you want to believe or don't believe or whatever, that's up to you. And, um, we did, um, the steps went through step four, but step five where you, you share, um and you, you tell somebody he says well why don't we get together and we was going to do it in london when he was traveling but that got cancelled and i thought ryanair flights were 29 pound or 29 which is what's that uh 35 or something like that um to denmark and i ummed and ad because by this stage i'd been stopped a while and I, I really had got to where i didn't want to travel anywhere i'd actually i found my sober bubble I didn't want to be anywhere else really but anyway I went and I was quite apprehensive because the the talk about you know um you've got to turn it over to God and things like that was quite prominent and coming out more and more and um we went I went across there and he says right okay um we'll get straight into it and there was no um you know introductions or anything like that as such it was like right i found this place we're going to go to this um uh, this place in the city and in my mind i'm thinking my god this guy's a serial killer what's what's going what's going on here i, I don't know what to expect and uh, <laughs> and where this place was it turns out it was an old um chapel where uh, where him and his family used to go and worship and things like that and um, I thought, oh, right, okay, this is fine. And don't get me wrong, I've got nothing against anybody that's religious at all. That's that every, each to their own. Um, but we walked in and uh, it says, right, there's, there's some rules. The first rule was you can't ring home. You need to be fully focused, which I get you need to be focused, but I'd got my comfort blanket in my phone knowing that my wife was on the other end. Um, the second one was, uh, we go right through, 
so no sleep, bearing in mind this was about seven o'clock in the evening. And the third one, there was four actually, what was the fourth? But the, but the third one, the one that sticks in my mind is if I wanted to go to the toilet, I couldn't wash my hands. And, and he would go, don't, and I'm like, what? I said, what if I want, you know, like, what if it's not just a, a number one, I want number two, it's like, no. And I'm thinking, oh no, it's gotta be a cult. It's gotta be, this isn't a, hey, this is something different. And so, yeah, it, it kind of went like that. And we did the steps all the way through the night. Um, but it was really intense and we, we went through seven and eight and things like that. And he was, you know, Neil asked for forgiveness, asked for forgiveness. And it was really like a baptism of fire. It was crazy. It really was crazy. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to, well, reliving it is just, it, it's like something out of a film, to be honest. It really was. But the things I learned from that guy, you know, all that aside were were just immense for me personally. And for that, I'll never, you know, I'll never, um, I'll never forget that. But yeah, it was certainly, you know, when you've got thoughts of cults and serial killers and are you in safe hands and, and things like that. I mean, it, it one, <laughs> one was, um, you need to see a, a manifestation things and I'm like well you know perhaps I, I don't and he, at one point I got my eyes closed and he was asking me you know can you see the light and I could but it was it was actually the light coming through because it, it was um, daybreak by this time bearing in mind this had gone through all, the whole evening um, and it was daybreak coming through my eyes but I, I didn't have the, the heart to tell him that it wasn't what he thought it was it was just the light coming through um i mean yeah it was uh it was one of the most surreal sober experiences i think i've ever had well i have ever had in my life anyway and it was just the but, two of them uh, yeah his wife was in the uh, in the back room um and was there to support him if he needed anything um, they're, they're both, they were both in the program um, but yeah it was really 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 surreal and when I said look I need to ring home and I've got I want to ring the kids you know say good night and things like that and it was a real struggle I did in the end because I just did it but it was a real struggle and uh, you know just these rules and I thought that's just weird and I really don't know where about the washing the hands thing that just totally threw me. Oh, shoes off, that was it. Yeah, you had to have your shoes off, that was the fourth one. Yeah, but again, it, uh, you know, I, I, that aside, it's a crazy story. I mean, it's, you know, I've just skipped over it there, really. But, um, yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it was a surreal experience, to say the least. Yeah, but again, I, I can't reiterate how much I feel for the guy anyway was good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's so interesting. Like there is obviously some of, you know, I found in my journey, 
doing things that are very similar to some of the practices in the 12 steps, not exactly, but, you know, looking one thing that you do is, and you really don't have a choice once you've stopped drinking is to get to know yourself, right? Like it just kind of happens. The inventory, I guess, would be the translation in the 12 steps, but just understanding who you are. I think that, um, you know, there's really, if you're going to dumb it down and, and simplify it completely, there's almost two different ways you can, you can come at this. And one is to, especially if you're drinking to self-medicate, there's, there's certainly people who are not drinking to self-medicate and their journey is a bit different, but most of us are to some degree. And you can heal the stuff that you're medicating away from first, and then, you know, try to find your way out of alcohol or you can stop drinking and then do the work, which I think is what the 12 steps intend healing the things that you are medicating away in the first place. And I think self-discovery is, is always a good thing. Um, but I do personally like it to be on my own terms a bit more, uh, which I've really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, Yeah. fascinating. Yeah. I think that's what I did because, you know, I, I definitely took bits from everywhere to be honest from you know from from AA from my own experiences from your book from from other books and you just I don't know I, I just had to do it my own way um and and take the bits but you know I, I always say that you know, we're like a we're like an iceberg aren't we and there's the there's 10% that shines above the surface and it all looks glistening and yay, we're all great. We're happy. We, we look nice on the top. But that part that's underneath is the real, you know, the, 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 the crux of it where, you know, that has the effect on the top. So the top part is just the drinking, you know, that 10%, everything that's underneath is all the emotions and everything and the circumstances that you've been through that, that lead you to do that. Um, whether that be lifestyle, whether it be, you know, abusive past or whatever. Um, there's always a reason there, generally, like you say. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the most fascinating things I've found is that that emotional turmoil that you're trying to numb or run away from really becomes like a friend or an ally or a guide into finding out, you know, what is wrong, um, if wrong is the right word, but what is misaligned I guess in your life that you want to heal and you know live in a different way you know so so often and I think one of the most painful parts of being stuck is this inner conflict of having you know both wanting to do more of something more drinking and less drinking at the same time and then beating yourself up for for your decisions and stuff but I think a lot of that comes from that we're drinking in the first place to kind of put a damper on or to numb this inner voice that's saying, hey, there's something here I need to be listened to. I need to you know you're not living in a way that is 100%. Um, you know, even in your story, when you were traveling all the time and away from your family and stuff, and like there was this inner voice saying, hey, this, this isn't right. This isn't what I, your best, yeah. your best and highest purpose here. Your, you know, what, what really is for you and and like this wisdom just inside yourself and yeah. then drinking of course just numbs that away mm. and it's it's i don't know if you can see it behind me 
this oh, yeah. can you read that at all you, it, you know when you go for your eyes tested yeah and you get one of these and it says you can really see uh, what's right in front of your nose oh nice and and for me that the re i'll tell you why i've got that shortly but for me that the traveling and and you know looking for this different lifestyle and you know money and all that kind of stuff it was that wasn't what it was all about and it took a, a whole load of you know like i mentioned before incidents events and all this kind of thing to realize what it was i was looking for all along and that was contentment and that is what i'd already got but i'd stepped outside of that looking for you know looking for for everything else for the career and the, and everything and the drinking and the you know, and it was just right in my face. And that that there, it, it come from a lady called Jill Cowley, who is uh, an NL, NLP practitioner. And, you know, she's got all the T-shirts when it comes to counselling and things like that. Can you hear that? That's my sausage dog just going crazy. I've got a mini dachshund and I could, it, my wife's just through there. It's, uh, it's yeah, he's just come in. Um, but anyway, Jill is the lady that got, uh, did, I did NLP with. And I walked into her, her office uh, room one day and I saw it straight away and I said, that's amazing. So that's, that's just got me all over it. And she gave me it as a gift that day. She says, you can have it. She says, nobody's ever noticed that before. And it sums me up. So I, I've got, got it in my office now. I just keep it there. And it reminds me, you know. Um, yeah. Another little sweet story there for you. Sorry, I digress. That's awesome. Um, I like that. So I wanted to get into NLP a bit. So you've now written a book, um, Finding Your Sober Bubble. And yeah it really is at its core about MNLP. So can you talk a little bit about what NLP is and how it helped you? Yeah, um, pretty much NLP, it helped me, um, not just with the drinking, but with the, um, the emotional aspect and dealing with um, events and pasts and the guilt and all that kind of thing. Um, and what NLP is, Neuro Linguistic Programming, um i'm by you know i'm not a practitioner of course i've, I've been through the i've been through it uh, but what it does it it generally it it reprograms if that's the right term it reprograms your thoughts and you, you the way that you you see things um we we call it regaming um so it, it takes certain views and the way that you look at the world and it kind of helps you to reframe that in your mind so that you know the way that you see alcohol um for example which is it's always going to be in it but the way that you see see that it needs to be changed and nlp helps you to change that and see it for what it is and not what it you know what you think it is um you know and, and in addition to that it's it's something that you know, it's just a, a life skill. It's all self-talk, uh, which comes into other um, other other therapies. You know, CBT and and all these things. But self-talk again is so important because you know how many times have you spoke to somebody who drinks and they hate themselves and you know that they've they've done this or they've done that when you know if they just had a little bit more positivity and encouragement and self-love 
that self-talk can give you, then, you know, it's, it's a different game. And NLP really does help with that and give you a more positive outlook. Um, Jill, who I, who I did mine with, it's, I mean, if anybody's going to go and see a practitioner, I'm not going to say you, you, you've got to go and see Jill. That'd be silly, especially if you're in the US. Why would you? But <laughs> you've certainly got to have a rapport and understanding and, you know, and, and go into it believing that it's going to work. Um, and that rapport thing, as soon as I walked in there, I mean, I was I was supposed to be in there for an hour session introduction and look through contracts and things. And I walked out two hours later. I felt like I'd been emotionally beaten up, but I walked out there two hours later um, because it was just, yeah, and it, it was a real good journey for me. And that's why I've included it in, in the book um, and speak of it so highly. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I um, did not know much if anything about NLP and then people who read this naked mind were very much like wow you've really used NLP here it's like I did huh that's yeah. interesting that's that's non-intentional yeah. but uh, yeah understand it yeah it, it's like it's it's with anything if you're going into something and you want it to work then you've got to put your trust in it um, and it, it's the same with any of them it's the same with you know, whether it's a job interview whether it's AA whether it's you know, whatever. Um, and I, I put my trust in it and it, it, it certainly changed my approach and outlook. Um, I started that in 2017. And first of all, it helped me overcome the emotions of the death of my mum and things like that. And then with NLP, along with, um, you know, the other aspects of quitting alcohol with AA and, and reading books and researching myself and things like that, it all come together um and that you know that's why like you and i we, we did it our own ways and you draw on everything that you've that you've you've got around you and your experiences but it's certainly at the forefront of everything nlp for me excuse me that's so cool so um well darren this has been awesome and i really i've really enjoyed it so where can people find you uh, should they want to reach out and read read your book and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I'm I've got a website um, called the Uni of Everyday Life, which is www.theuniofLife.com, um, and on there I I, I write um, various blogs, whether it's about um, cutting out drinking or or health or what whatever whatever takes my fancy really. Um, and on there you can find information about my book the book Finding Your Sober Bubble is on um, Amazon uh, which is, a, is something that I've self-published so that's uh, yeah that's on there and I'm on Instagram as uh, The Sober Bubble so if anybody wants to hook up with me on there whether it's for a chat advice or I, I can get some off other people as well, I find I find these platforms are great for support, certainly. So, uh, yeah, I've I've got a um, a journal as well that I've uh, I've just written, which I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with yet. That yet, you can get it, it's on the website, but it's uh, it's a new 
thing that I put together to record anxieties and, and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, good. That's so cool. So let me ask you the question that I always ask sort of at the end, which is if you could go back to Darren of, you know, waking up in Vienna and not really knowing where he was and traveling and, you know, the, the, um, the instance after the three months sober where you just really were in a bad spot and, and tell him about what life is like now, what would you tell him? Well, first of all, I'd give him a slap. I think that would be in order. Um, wake up boy um but i would certainly tell him that you know there's a whole new world out there absolute um you know it's clean you wake up fresh and you're missing so much of your life you know what the big things they're not really the big things the little things that you look back on are the big things and i think that is definitely something that i would tell him and i would say look you know contentment is where you find it um it's not where you look for it and it's usually within um yeah that that would be that's the first thing that pops to my i'd probably tell him quite a lot more as well but uh yeah yeah that's it that's awesome yeah i've uh, been really yeah. uh, struck by that same thing in my life of when you stripped all the things I was chasing away and started just being present in my own life and authentically present in my own life. Yeah. It really is amazing how everything you're looking for just is, is right here. You know, there's a statistic yeah. that says, um, and I don't know if this was done through studies or surveys or how it was come about, but basically the idea is that 90% of our happiness comes from what's going on inside of us and only 10% yeah. comes from what's going on outside of us. But we have so, we've been fed such a lie that we just have to get this circumstance right in order to, yeah. um, in order to really be happy. And so we chase all sorts of stuff and continuously yeah. when you strip that away and say, right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, see what it is without anything. I'm just going to be here. Um, yeah you, it is just like what is right behind your shoulder you know yeah it's, it's great i love it yeah it is so true. and I, you're a lot calmer as well yeah yes absolutely i uh i'll just tell you this before i go i um when i was doing my audio book i was doing it outside in a in a summer house that i've got so i narrated it myself and the amount of interruptions that i got of my kids and the amount of times that I was just like, oh, well, you know, I'll come back to it and things like that. If I'd have been drinking and doing something like that, I'd have gone nuts. It was, it would have just been, I don't know, crazy. And I think that because you're so content, you deal with things much better. And I think yeah. that's, yeah, that's another thing. You know, I'm a, lot, I'm a hell of a lot calmer now. Definitely. Absolutely, me too. It's uncanny how how different it is, but yeah. it isn't linear. It's kind of like you look back and you're like, wow, you know, it isn't like a switch. It's much more like a slowly over time. Yeah, it is. Things. Yeah, yeah. It's one of them, isn't it? Going up. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Darren. It's been really fun, and I really appreciate your time. No, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm honoured. Thank you very much.
Okay, honesty day. Let me ask you, did the pandemic change your relationship with alcohol? Maybe you started drinking more than usual. Maybe you started using it as a way to cope with isolation or stress. The truth is a lot of people did. You're not alone. Are you ready now to take back control of your drinking in a post-pandemic world and still be able to enjoy life as things reopen? The answer is not restriction. It's not deprivation. You can break your pandemic patterns and habits and finally feel liberated from alcohol. As we begin to emerge from a very challenging 15 months and as you return to normal, you can return to a life where alcohol becomes small and irrelevant for you, a total non-issue. Take the first step and join us for this very special and completely free five-day virtual event. It's from June 14th through 18th. Every day, we'll be teaching you exactly how to get back in control of your drinking post-pandemic. Save your spot by June 13th at controlalcohollive.com. Again, that's controlalcohollive.com. I can't wait to see you there. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.